So I brought you here to talk about devotion. You asked me at first, you said, do you mean like in a relationship? And I was like, I was, I mean, that I, I didn't think about it, but what, what were you kind of thinking about in terms of like devotion, in terms of like being in a relationship and devotion? Well, I guess in terms of devotion in the romantic, so in the in love sense of the word, I was thinking that, you know, uh, in a relationship that requ- requires, you know, a certain amount of uh, care and uh, empathy and uh, listening, communication, you know, which are, is, if you think about devotion, uh, in the non maybe spiritual sense, just in terms of, in terms of relationship, and that's what I think that entails all those things of being involved with somebody, having a certain amount of uh, concern for someone else, care about the things, caring about the things they care about, um, supporting them in the ways that they may not be unsure uh, about, you know, uh, really being there for somebody and being a, a sense of uh, uh, security for them, you know, so devotion in, in that way. Yeah. And then I, I like that, but devotion in the spiritual sense, how do you think of it there? Um, a slight different Friday for me because I'm, you know, I'm not a religious man or anything. So um, that's devotion. why I wanted to ask you because I was like, I know you're not, you know, religious. So I'm just curious to know what you would. <laughs> um, in, this, in that sense, I guess if you fall under maybe, maybe humanism, uh, secular humanism in that way, um, devotion, that could be again to, to friendships, to people you care about. Um, it could be to the community at large. Um, it could be in the way maybe you use your, whatever you call it, your gifts, your talents to kind of um, communicate with people or express some sort of shared uh, humanity or shared emotion or experiences that could be a form of devotion. Uh, of course, there's more traditional community involvement, whether that's being involved with organizations or like, you know, volunteering at, you know, maybe food kitchens or different or things like that education so all those could be forms of maybe of devotion in that sense you know in the sense that you kind of want to do uh spread uh goodness or spread uh some type of a uh, positive force or energy whatever you want to call it out into the, the wider world yeah and i i know you mentioned this uh last time you were on but what you you were like a, a church player and now you are an atheist. Like, how did you go from being super into like a religious setting and then now to be, you know, just completely away from it and done done with it? Um, well, I think I always ha- had some level of skepticism. Or always had always had questions at the very least from when I was little. I would have I had questions about it. Um, that just it didn't totally add up for me. Um when I was little, just some things just like uh, about, you know be afterlife or um you know knowing arc and things like that just didn't really totally make sense but you know this is what people that you uh respect whether that's your parents or teachers or people that's in the community that you know all these leaders are telling you this is the truth so you go you know kind of go along with it um indoctrination um so i, I was also skeptical to this extent but uh i think then once sort of crisis that you know happened with my sexuality and trying to deal with that happened. I think I got consumed by that so much. And then I think I was looking back at power was thinking either consciously or subconsciously, like, okay, once I quote unquote fix this, I'll get back to the other stuff, the other questions. And of course, you know, that didn't work. And then so uh once I resolved that came and make and maybe my peace with that came in terms with that, then the skepticism returned. Mm. And so 
that was around when I was about 22, 23, uh, it fully returned. I really saw it kind of to wrestle with that. Um, and then eventually, you know, uh, became an atheist. Um, and, and really on some level, I'm still influenced by uh, church or Christianity because it's just culturally in a way, you know mm -hmm. what I mean? Because mm -hmm. I mean, musically, you can't really get away from it, whether you listen to R&B or, or, you know, or no, no gospel at all. It's, it's in so many different styles of music, so. Um, yeah, that was the main thing about it. I think it, I think it was always there. Just kind of just took a detour for you know a good seven eight years while you know I dealt with other stuff. So yeah, and I I remember a, a post you made kind of showing who you were before you fully you know realized yourself. And yeah, you kind of yeah. What what who was that person? Who was that person? Um, I think he just was very. Uh, he was just kind of lost. I mean, he think he was very lost and very uh, unsure of himself and just not sure what was going to happen to him. That's the, I think that's the main, the big thing for me at that time was because uh, this is around the same time where, uh, I don't know if you, you were raised in church or they did or this with you, um, where they had this program called True Love Waits. <laughs> mm -hmm. Oh, like the abstinence. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So the, thing, the whole thing, you know, you wait to have to get married and until you're married to have sex and all that stuff and one i was skeptical about that because i'm like you know we were like 13 14 15 at the time and like isn't and you think about especially now people don't get married to like the mid-30s if that so you go all through high school all through college all through postgraduate, and you really expect people to remain virgins until then i you know highly doubt it i know some folks did not. i mean yeah clearly it doesn't because people end up getting babies and whatnot <laughs> right and so that was that but underneath that for me especially at that time let's think about this for me this this has been around 2000 2001 2002 you know uh marriage equality years off uh don't ask until still in effect technically the sodomy law was still in effect to like oh three i think yeah oh three so yeah. and so and thinking about all that, even though I wasn't aware of all those things, it's still on some level. I thought, okay, assuming everybody actually does remain virgins until a marriage, you know, and it happens for them, they go off and they get married, they have kids. What happens to me? Yeah. Where do I go? Where am I? And all this. And then I carried that feeling with me of like just feeling like, what's going to happen to me? And what's going? To, what is my life going to be like? And so, and eventually, mm -hmm. I, I, you know, that just has turned to like I don't care about anything. I'm just going to just shut off and just you know just plow forward whatever happens you know? how like how how deep were you in in that feeling because that that is like some people it's very hard to dig yourself out of it it is um it, it got pretty heavy uh i'd say it really started coming to head like junior in the junior year into senior year um because by that point uh it you know it'd been pretty much several years of like really now but also like trying to also uh trade away on some level and 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 do all that stuff and, and that, that wasn't working and and at some point it's kind of and it just became clear to me that this is something that wasn't going away but i wasn't ready to really face that and deal with it and i definitely wasn't ready to tell anybody about it uh you know young people were speculating about it um and so it just it, it did get very heavy in the sense of just you know i, I just didn't want to deal with it. And I just thought, well, okay, well, if I had any sense of a plan, I think I said this in the post as well. If I had a plan, it was just like to, you know, go to college. That's what I was supposed to, that's what I was supposed to do next. Then out of college, get some job and something, whatever it was, get married to somebody, maybe have your kids and just, you know, 
make sure the ganja was on so so I wouldn't have to so I'd be numb to all of it, you know. Yeah. But it wasn't much, much of a plan at all. But yeah, yeah so that it get it, it did get very heavy. Um as far as coming out of it, I just think I don't know. I just realized once I realized one time I was alone in my dorm room and I realized that I, I just wasn't being honest with anybody and it just didn't you know, I just didn't know how much for like a go uh down that road and so i just i obviously went in another direction so yeah i mean when you said when you said you got tired of like not being honest with with people like that's that's kind of what something that pushed me to to like fully just i guess it's coming i hate saying coming out like uh, i oh, hate yeah, saying well, that why, why do you <laughs> i'm just like like uh, like straight people don't have to come out like you know like it should just i don't and i also don't think i i came out i think i was already out and i was just repressed (laughs) (laughs) and had to re-come out because (laughs) anyway um but i i thought about like yeah like yeah i'm not being honest like when, when you're when you kind of like you're like, yeah, I, who can I be honest with if I'm not, you know, honest with myself? And it's just like not a good feeling. It's like you can't really have productive or meaningful relationships if you're like, you know, lying to yourself and lying to other people. Right. And that mean, even though in that moment I started to realize that and started to kind of work towards uh, telling the truth and being authentic, that took years. And it, and even now I, I look back and realize how much that affected uh friendships or relationships with my parents or with my, my uh brother or, or with uh like i said friends at the time or with you know uh boyfriends people i interacted with you know uh because you're so used to like cutting off your feelings or like keep people at arm's length that it doesn't just go away overnight you know how much of that do you think it has to do with just being a black man like how much of that, that? I, I think that compounds it because on top of just being a man in general being a black man you know you have to sort of walk a certain line in terms of like you know being in certain spaces and knowing you can't come in there and just necessarily be your full self you gotta kind of take the temperature of the room and like and then kind of move accordingly you know and you know you you encounter some people and then sometimes it's sometimes it's just a natural personality doesn't always mesh with people's um stereotypes in a way like uh no, I'm usually naturally more introverted uh, day to day life when I walk into a room. You know, I'm not the type of person to kind of announce that I'm in the room. But you know, some guys, especially the, I call them the, the dude bros, you know, that you walk in a room and they expect you to be like, yo, what's up? What you know? And, and, and like, you know, get in dude, the, bro, yeah, I love yeah. that. <laughs> dude. You know, they expect you like, to, to like give them, give them full on black yeah. man, quote unquote. And some yeah. folks, they naturally are that. So that's not, that's not, that's who they are. But if you're not that, then so all of a sudden you get it's like that you can tell like they're disappointed like oh you're not, you're not entertaining me you know it's, it's, mm, it's, mm. so <laughs> so um that compounded with just the fact that you know you get the message of like black man is this and gay is this and like the two separate things over here when really like, it could be one the same and so that feeds on each other you know i was gonna ask do you feel like you deal with internalized homophobia at all i have before um especially in the you know the closeted uh days it was like beyond just you know the denial it was also uh, um i call it like constant uh self-monitoring it's like you observe at least for me in the back hand speak for me um you observe the way that uh i wasn't particularly good at it but you observe the way that this the straight men sort of act and you mm. say like okay 
take this away. That's how I'm, that's how I'm actually so you watch the way you, you speak or how you keep coming off the way you speak, the way you move your hands, the way you sit, the way you stand, the way you walk, the way you, you know, all, all those things, you're constantly sort of monitoring your own behavior, mm. and which is a form of, of, of to me, of a internalized homophobia because there's nothing wrong with the way you naturally move and walk and talk. But of course, of what you've been taught, you feel like it is. So you have to like have to alter it and change it. So there's that. Um, early on in relationship, you know, I, I definitely wasn't the type to show affection in public, or even um, in private when I was with the roommates. You know, which which led to uh, problems too. So there was that. Um, and then also just you know, being able to sort of assert yourself in a situation where people are sort of uh trying to you know quote unquote come for you like for lack of a better word uh about you know your existence yeah. <laughs> um so that that's all those things you kind of have to unfortunately a lot of i think a lot of us have to build that on our own because our parents may prepare us to deal with racism but they don't prepare us to deal with homophobia mm-hmm. or you know with those over those you know facing those sort of challenges and you don't have the person you don't necessarily have them to lean on at the time because you're going to be out to them yeah, yeah. Which I was not at that. I'd say that eighteen to twenty-two age. No, I wasn't. So yeah, I'm just thinking about like you know your style now, and just like I mean, just I keep going back to that picture. Like it just really like resonated with me. This the story and just the the picture you showed, and I'm just like, how did you go from this closeted dude to this fabulous queen like what <laughs> what there's such a huge shift yeah about 15 years it took a minute so but yeah um 15 years okay yeah yeah it took a minute when it wasn't an easy uh it gets better you know that's the <laughs> <laughs> um I, I would say like again back to self-devotion you know um coming out first coming to myself then you know it's possible to come to uh i think my brother was the first person i told um and then after that, I think it was by sort of core group of friends that we kind of all grew up with it. And initially, they kind of didn't take it. They, they didn't have the best reaction. But over time, you know, it, it, they they got used to it. Um, eventually, you know, my mother and then my then my father, and that was a rough one. But then, you know, again, time sort of um, moves on. And, you, you know, it, that gets that got a little bit easier uh, in terms of like just dealing with the reality situation. And then also, I then um, then also I think. You know, leaving church was a good decision in the long run because beyond just the fact I didn't believe in what I was doing anymore, you know, that's depending on what church you play for. Because some churches may be affirming, and if they are, that's great. But the ones I the ones I played for at at best, they were just like a negative silence. Mm. And at worst, it was you know the usual. <laughs> yeah. For a bit. So yeah. getting getting away from that, def, I think definitely had some definitely helped. It was like mentally just. Well, yeah, messing with you, right? By that point, I had built up a good insulation, but still, it's like you're, you're playing that game of like you know hiding in plain sight and 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 and, and you know confirming that dying and all that stuff. And so, you know, you're not fully being affirmed if you know if it's the best thing about it is they don't they just don't talk about it. You know, that's it's, it's better than negativity, but it's not all that great either. Uh, so I think it was those steps as well. I, I think you know. Uh, being a, getting a little bit more involved with the uh, local community in terms of like our organization here in Alexandria, a uh, class and, and, their, and their pride celebration. So I think it was a combination of, of all those things. And just, you know, the, sort of the longer you're sort of out 
and the more used to you're used to just existing as you are, I think it kind of gets easier um, to just be. Yeah. Once you can just be, then you can kind of realize your sort of your inner creativity, maybe things you've been sort of repressing. You know, I think I think it's what it is. So, what does it what does it mean to to practice a devotion to the self? What do you think that means? <laughs> um, I think that probably means being number one, being honest with yourself, because if you can admit that to yourself, then it's that's the very first step. As cliche as that sounds, you know, you kind of quote unquote come to yourself first, admit the truth to yourself, and you can do that. You can admit it to other people. Um, I also think it means uh, being kind to yourself, which is that's something I've always practiced. Uh, you know, not necessarily, it doesn't have to be anything dramatic, but it's you know maybe being too self-critical or um, not uh, or you know being too unforgiving of yourself of like past mistakes, things like that. Um, that's, I think that's part of being devotion to the self. Uh, obviously, you know, trying to take care of your body uh, on a physical level, that's being devotion to the self. Uh, mentally as well, you know, self-care and all that stuff, but not just self-care in the, in the frivolous sense, but also, you know, if you shouldn't date that person, you know, you know, they look good because they might not be right for you in, in terms of personality or, you know, the girls need to, the girls <laughs> need to listen to that. <laughs> uh, maybe you shouldn't take that job or, or, you know, because, you know, it may be do more harm than good for you to stretch you out yeah. or on the opposite end, maybe you're being a little too cautious and you made it to, need to take a leap every now and then, which mm. is a mess I've had to, you know, reckon mm. with too. So, you know, mm. all those could be forms of, of devotion, just, are you trying to be your best self to, to draw another cliche you know yeah. You, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> i'm so happy you have afro sensei tv like what 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 was your i like what made you start this like was this always a goal of yours um, well actually it wasn't uh, i was actually um just you know and what I do every every day of posting stuff and you know working on music and everything, and I was approached by um, Dementia, who's a drag queen on uh, on IG as well, uh, or she's based I think in LA, um, and she reached out to me and asked. Um, she runs Drag Queen TV, and she asked would you want to do um, a sort of video countdown sort of show uh, in a way like a BJ sort of thing. And I wasn't sure at first because you know as far as you know me showing my age a bit. I think BJ, I, BJ, I think like TRL, you know, One Six and Park, MTV Jam type of thing, and I was mm. not sure what something I wanted to do. But then it was more like when, she, when I described it, it's more well, maybe I can just do like um, what you see on the show, just kind of chat in between the videos and talk about the artists a bit. And I said I could do that. And then they, she agreed to that. And then um, you know, the show developed, and then you know, here we are with it. So it's so good, like. I, I love that you showcase so many queer art, like black queer artists. Like I really, I feel like this, that your show might be the only show that I am getting a lot of, a, just a lot of black and queer like music. Um, so I think that's like, I think that's like something really, really special about it. And I'm so happy that it exists. <laughs> yeah, thank you. <laughs> um, okay. So yeah, where can the people follow you and how can they watch the Afro Sensei show? Okay, but well, they can follow me on Afro Sensei on Instagram. That's the best kind of the main spot where I post a lot. I'm also on Facebook too. Afro Sensei is on Facebook, um, SoundCloud, uh, Spotify, Tidal, all the streaming services, you know, everything's available on the streaming services. Uh, the Afro Sensei show 
they can watch it on Drag Queen TV on Twitch, and they can also watch it on Facebook. We go live uh, every other Friday, which will be this Friday, the 18th, uh, at 7.30 Central Time, so. Oh, well, this is gonna air like. Oh, all right, yeah, sorry. <laughs> sorry, right. but 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 every good other to know. Friday, yeah, yeah, every, every other Friday is <laughs> every other Friday on Drag TV on Twitch and on Facebook, seven thirty uh, Central. Thank you so much for for talking to me, and um, yeah, I'm just I, I'm I'm excited to see what you do next, and yeah, I'm I'm glad we still keep in contact. Oh yeah, definitely. I'm glad you know you've been very supportive, and I really appreciate that because you know you put you work so hard to put out content and stuff and you wonder is it really connecting with people so it means a lot when people uh you know respond and, and really make a point of like saying hey i really like this so and share it 